welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And in today's episode, we are going to explore a very interesting topic about an organization called the Alpha Delphian Association, which formed its own commune or village just west of Galesburg in 1844 and lasted only four years. And it was an experiment that has been kind of forgotten in southwest Michigan history. And it had to do with communal living and a new philosophy based in socialism. And so we're going to explore the interesting history of this today. So come along and join me. So in today's story, I'm going to be using a few different references. One article from the Kalamazoo Library and another from a book on the history of Galesburg written by Robert Adams, which discusses the history of the Alpha Delphian Association. And then also some short bits of references from the uh, Western Michigan University website that had some uh, details on how the society was formed. Begin with, let's start with the word Alpha Delphia, which is what they named their organization. And when I researched it, I was like, well, none of the articles are describing what does Alpha Delphia actually mean? And I think it was overthinking it because it's a lot more simpler than it sounds at first. Um, it comes from two Greek words, Alpha and Adelphus. And uh, Alpha is the Greek letter for A. It also represents first because it's the first letter in the alphabet. And then Adelphus is a uh, Greek meaning of the word brother. Uh, as in Philadelphia, you know, you have the word philio, which means love, and brother. So you have the city of brotherly love. Alpha Delphia meant first brotherhood or first brothers. And that was uh, why they named the society the Alpha Delphian Society or Alpha Delphian um, Association, which was the first Brotherhood Association. So how was it formed and where did this idea come from? Well, it was based on the teachings of a French socialist named Charles Fourier. And he lived from 1772 to 1837. And he was an eccentric 19th century thinker who was writing during a time in which utopian models were in vogue throughout England, Europe, and the United States. And he argued against a society around the principles of self-individualism and capitalism. And he was trying to find a way to create a utopian society in his writings and theories and he came up with this philosophy of a golden age of reform for structuring a social society based on an ideal colony or in, an, in the organization of an ideal colony. And it was basically, in principle, a socialistic type of organization that he was establishing where everybody contributed and everybody worked and they used their own skills and labors as a unit in a organized colony of people working together for a common existence, basically. So he had written a lot about this, and 
there was a socialistic society that was formed in 1843 in Michigan around the Ann Arbor area. And in 1843, they ran an ad in a newspaper at the time called the Territorial Expounder. And it was printed in Ann Arbor, and it was informing the people that a socialistic society was in the process of forming. And those interested were told to meet at the schoolhouse in Columbia, Jackson County. And the meeting was held on December 14th, 1843. And during the meeting, a skeleton constitution was drawn up and three site locations were presented as possible locations to establish this colony based on this socialistic constitution they wrote up on this day in December of 1843. And three men were chosen to go tour the sites and select the most suitable spot for what they referred to as a phalanx, which was the name of what they referred to the basic structure of the colony. And one of the men was Dr. H.R. Shutterly, the other was William Grant, and the third man was John Curtis. And the site committee arrived in Galesburg and were suitably impressed with the location. And that was one of the three sites that they were looking at around southwest or lower Michigan. And they said of that location, the Kalamazoo River is a large and beautiful stream, nine rods wide and five feet deep in the middle, flowing at the rate of about four miles an hour. An eight-foot fall can be attained without flowing any land worth mentioning, and by digging a race, and by a race they meant mill race, one mile and a half in length, and it would propel 100 run of stone in the driest season. So they were looking at the site for the potential to establish a mill, which is the foundation of most any early pioneer community, even this new type of commune that they were trying to establish. And they also mentioned that the digging in the soil was easy and could be done with scrapers and teams, meaning teams of horses or oxen. And they also looked at the land and determined that there were deposits of clay which could easily be made into brick and there was a lot of field stone that could be used for foundation and there was also an ample supply of timber which could be used for running through the sawmill and building structures. These were all the ingredients of a site location that went into the decision making when anyone during the pioneer period was looking to establish a settlement of any kind. And this was 1843, so this was very early in the establishment of Southwest Michigan period. And so to be a part of this community, they divided a units of ownership into stock, and this consisted of real and personal property as they determined the amount of land or the area they were going to establish this in. And one share was issued for each $50 of property that was brought in. Some people brought in money. Some people brought in tools or equipment. Others brought in the ability or the skills to build a sawmill, and that was their share. And then other people brought in their actual farms that they had in the community and connected their farms and the farmland they owned and those became their 
shares of the uh, commune area they were establishing. So all of this was happening in this area just outside of Galesburg and Comstock Township. All of this structure was taken from the writings and theories of Charles Fourier. As I mentioned before, he was the one that was the writer of this experiment, and some of the people took his writings and applied them to their own areas. There were several attempts to follow his teachings and writings in Europe during this time, and each one of those turned into failures. The Alpha Delphians of Galesburg changed some of the standard rules, such as keeping the present system of marriage as opposed to having rules that two people living together must abide by. So they kept some of the basic structures of society, like marriage, and ignored the writings of Fourier on those subjects. And another diversion from his teachings and writings was that they established that the local group would have residential and non-residential members. The residential members lived on site and included the blacksmith that lived there on the site, which I'll get into in a minute. And the non-residential members lived outside the area in outlying farms. So in four years' way of thinking, social structures that were based on competition and individualism were not only imperfect, but they were immoral and counterproductive to the advancement of mankind. This is what he thought of it. So his ideal colonies would be self-sufficient little cities of about 1,620 people, which was the number that he came up with. And they would have a huge building providing for group living under one roof and community meals. And a new code governing relationships between the sexes legalized free love. And plenty of time and energy would be reserved for cultural activities, but work would remain important and its products would be distributed one-third to capital, one-quarter to talent, and five-twelfths to labor. That was how he wrote out his um, structure on paper as he wrote this uh, utopian society up. So the most enthusiastic founder of the group of the Alpha Delphian Association, who oversaw most of the organizing process, was Dr. Henry R. Shetterly. He was a resident of Ann Arbor, and he'd been one of the ones at that original meeting. So his name is Shetterly, and he read about four years' theories through the writings of Horace Greeley and Albert Bisbane, who were publishers of newspapers during that time period and Horace Greeley was a, quite an abolitionist at that time as well. He ran the New York, uh, one of the New York newspapers during that time in history, and he was pretty well known throughout the country. So after three days of debate ranging from drafting of the Constitution, the group concluded that its first step was to locate the land, and which they did over in the Galesburg area. And then a committee was formed and a search for affordable land with access to the water began. And that's how they came up with the Comstock Township area, which is just west of Galesburg. So once they decided on this location, they went and they spoke to a lot of the surrounding farmers. And a lot of these folks were early pioneers that were just struggling on their own. And it appealed to them to have help with their farms. And it appealed to them to have some sort of a fallback and the idea wasn't so far-fetched when they presented the whole concept to them. So by the spring of 1844, 
there were 1,300 Alphadelphian members established in this commune. And there were men, women, and children. And whatever their particular skill, trade, or vocation, they would show up every day to ply their particular craft for the collective good of the group. Fourier advocated that uh, individuals cycle from job to job during the day in order to counter the effects of boredom. So if you had skills in a particular area, you would work at that for part of the day, but then you might also shift over to another type of labor or task and move around. That way you don't get bored throughout the day. The goal, as Fourier theorized, was to match talents and skills with members who possessed them, and that was kind of how they structured this commune. So among the first project was, of course, constructing a sawmill and digging out a mill race. So members worked at that as one of their principal jobs that they did when they took part in activities there. But they also constructed a two-story wooden mansion. And then the following year, in 1845, they built a wagon shop, a blacksmith shop, and several barns which were added to the blossoming social experiment. Despite the hardships faced by the group, the first two years of the experiment was arguably a bit of a success. However, the shared prosperity was a bit short-lived, as cracks in the foundation of the association's social and economic model began to show as early as 1846. Over the course of the following two years, the Alpha Delphia Association's lofty ideals began to erode under the weight of economic realities. Increasingly, they started having problems with the commitment level from the people that were involved and the amount of sacrifice that individuals were willing to make for the efforts of the group. And increasingly, this romantic commitment to shared sacrifice and prosperity began to show signs of wear and tear and the commune started going into a gradual deterioration. And the result was due to several factors. There was a lack of sustained revenue, and it was coupled with an increasingly large number of poor families that were incapable of contributing their fair share to the activity, but they were also drawing from the activity of the people that were working. So essentially you had people that didn't have skills, they didn't have any money to bring to the activity, they had no property, no tools, they had some labor, but it wasn't commensurate with what everybody else was putting in, and eventually you had this drain where they have these large poor families coming into the group of original core of people that were productive and prosperous and had skills, and some of them even had or tools and wealth that they were mixing in with this, including land. And so you have this group of people that weren't contributing at the same level as the others, and you suddenly have this lower level of quality of existence for everybody involved. So it wasn't that they were able to raise the group up to a higher level by having a common prosperity goal and belief that people would put in the same amount of sacrifice as everyone else, but you had people that were somewhat lazy moving in and coming and taking part of it and getting taking the free meals and not really putting in the hard day's work, essentially. And after the uh, 
third or fourth year, it started to really collapse, and economically, it began to fail. A magazine called Encore Magazine wrote about this history of the Alphadelphian Association. And it said the Alphadelphians were strong on theory, had more than enough land and plenty of labor, but there was little money coming in. The lack of available capital produced unemployment and its consequent demoralization. The quality of the food declined to the point where buckwheat cakes promised practically the sole staple. So they were not producing any higher level than maybe an individual farm might, had everybody been divided up individually by individual farmers. And so they weren't producing enough to trade their goods that they were making and uh, above feeding their own people. And so they weren't able to trade with the outside world, bring in extra money so you could buy seed or buy supplies or tools and things like that. And so when you start losing the supplies chain that you need to continue the activity or expand it, you suddenly start having people with nothing to do because there's nothing to plant, there's nothing to um, build because they're lacking the tools and so forth. And that was kind of what happened when it started producing unemployment because there was not enough revenue being generated by the association. And so this is where it started to go into decline. So it lasted for four years. The first two years, there was a... um, a measured degree of a success, and then it began to collapse as it continued. And so by the fourth year, a lot of the individual farmers that had brought in their land into the commune were starting to pull them back out and go on their own and work the land themselves. And there were also some of the people that had invested money in it were pulling out their shares and moving away. Even the idealistic Shetterly, Dr. Shetterly, sought new adventures as well as disbanding of his grand experiment. So he ended up calling the experiment a failure and moved on himself. He went to another commune that was attempting to form down in Indiana and lived there for a while. Then he moved to another one after that. And eventually he gave up the idea altogether and he became a lighthouse keeper on Grand Traverse Bay. So he probably had pretty much lost all faith in his previous doctrines at that point. By 1848, the whole society and organization had broken up. And by 1849, Kalamazoo County purchased the 173-acre tract of land that was previously part of the association's holdings. The county proceeded to convert the land into the county poor farm. And it was a place where indigent senior citizens in the 19th century and the insane, as they called it at that time, lived out their last days. So that was uh, a topic that I've covered on this podcast before, the different poor farms that were in the various counties. I've covered the one that was in Calhoun County, talked a little bit about the one in Kalamazoo, and there were other ones in Grand Rapids in the Lansing area. There was a meeting of all of the poor farm uh, superintendents that I covered in a special podcast episode on that. And so that was how the Kalamazoo County poor farm was established. It eventually became known as the County Rest Home, and it was ultimately decommissioned in the 1970s. So historians that look back at the Alphadelphian Association or 
the First Brotherhood Society, as it was called uh, in other ways, um, on the north side of the Kalamazoo River over in Comstock Township as a social experiment that failed. And essentially, the society ran into the trouble with its system that some of the members felt that they carried the most work and some families were so large that they were living at the expense of others. And if you can envision for a moment, maybe you have a family of three or four adults and two children doing work, and then you have a family that moves in with maybe two adults and eight children. Well, the children aren't going to be necessarily able to keep up with the same amount of work as the adults are, and you're going to have they're also eating at the same time. So I can see, you know, when you look at the whole picture of the whole thing, it it's easy to understand in retrospect looking at it why this problem became too much for the society to deal with by 1848. And it took four long years of hardship before the society closed. And the first two years were hardship, but there was some measure of prosperity, so everybody kept working at it. But by the fourth year, people were saying they're done with this, and they moved on. And um, the mansion that they built, the big, tall building, was eventually dismantled after the county purchased it for the poor farm, and it was moved to Galesburg and reassembled for the use of a windmill factory. And I don't know if that building still exists or not in Galesburg. Maybe some people from Galesburg would be able to tell me if there's still the remains of a windmill factory there. But that's just the uh, interesting history on the First Brotherhood Society, also known as the Alpha Delphian Association, which was a commune that was established west of Galesburg in Comstock area and uh, right along the Kalamazoo River. And it's a fascinating chapter in Southwest Michigan's history. And it was the same land that ultimately was used for the Kalamazoo County Poor Farm in the years that followed after the society collapsed. So that's going to do it for today's journey through history. I just found that story to be quite interesting and fascinating. It's almost in the category of a lost village story. And I know there's been a lot of interest when I've done an episode on a lost village in southwest Michigan and the ones that, you know, that no longer exist. And you tell the story how they formed. And I've had a lot of uh, response from the two that I did on Verona, the village of Verona and the history behind that, as well as the village of Harmonia. And I intend to do some more of this type of lost village history because I found a tremendous amount of lost villages when I did... Uh, research on. I also did another episode earlier on about a village or town called Dogtown that used to be uh, west of East Leroy, Michigan. And um, that, of course, no longer exists either. And it had a very fascinating little history behind it. Originally was known as Fiddler's Grove, and then it became Dogtown. And of course, it never got very big. It had a general store. I don't think that village or area really even had a mill. It just had a road and a post office at one point, and that was it. Uh, so there's a lot of fascinating stories with lost villages. This one of the Alpha Delphian Association is kind of unique in itself because it was uh, a socialized uh, experiment for a specific commune at, to, based on socialism, and it's uh, 
interesting to look back at it to see how it did fail. There's not been a lot of success record across the history of planet Earth on socialistic societies. They all tend to have their expiration date. And a lot of times, it, in fact, more cases than not, it ends in poverty, which is um, from a historical perspective looking at it out there. So it's interesting to note that there was once a, an experiment like this here in southwest Michigan, right outside Galesburg. And apparently there were several other ones around the country. There was uh, one down in Indiana that um, would have been probably the next closest one to the Michigan area. But that's going to conclude today's journey through history. If you found this uh, subject fascinating and or you enjoyed the topic, then please be sure to leave a review on whatever app that you're listening on um, or just leave me your thoughts and comments using whatever app that you're on. I usually have a question on Spotify that uh, you can you can answer about uh, what you thought of the episode. And I do have people every week filling those out, and that's really fun to read that. And if you'd like to reach out to me, you can always find me at michaeldelaware.com. I'm always happy to hear from my listeners. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and we explore even more fascinating stories and tales of Southwest Michigan's past, thank you for listening. <laughs>